Welcome to Between the Headphones, a Georgia football podcast. I'm Stuart Steele, the sports editor at the Ren Black, and your host for this podcast series. Each week, the Ren Black football beat will look back on the previous week's game and preview the matchup for next week. In this episode, I'll speak to football beat writer Parth Patel about Georgia's 50-30 SEC championship win against LSU and preview the Peach Bowl against Ohio State with assistant sports editor John James. Welcome to the show, Parth. Thanks for having me. So with this game, I wanted to start with the offense that obviously was pretty excellent. A 50-point performance in the SEC title game is tough to come by, and specifically Stetson Bennett played potentially his best game of the season. I mean, the Oregon game was pretty good as well, but I wanted to ask what you saw out of Stetson in this game, and, and especially coming off kind of two down games, uh, what that means for Georgia going forward. Yeah, I mean, I thought the offense played really well. They played kind of up to the opportunity. We've seen them where they've had, you know, games against Oregon and South Carolina where they've been able to be really explosive. They were able to do that against LSU. Stetson, you know, he was very accurate with the football, no turnovers. You know, that was something that was plaguing the offense and the team as a whole early on and throughout some of their inconsistent stretches where, you know, they were turning the ball over a lot. But they played a very clean game on offense, and, you know, they had the passing game going with Stetson. The running game was going pretty well, too, and I think they just had really all phases against that LSU defense just clicking, and they were able to execute at a high level, and you could just tell that, you know, LSU's defense wasn't really able to do much against stopping that offense. Yeah, I thought, I mean, I thought it was a very impressive all-around performance from the offense, and there was a very clear delineation of first half was you know throwing the ball very aggressive play calling from Todd Munkin I thought he had a great game Um, and then the second half they kind of were trying to run the clock out finish the game out with a lot of the running game and that started kind of badly they had a fumble early in the second half on like a weird exchange but they were able to recover well enough and run the ball a lot better there in the third and fourth quarter um, to finish out the game I thought in general the offense was just really great and then Brock Bowers also had another really good game. I thought it was good to see him get more involved again, at least as far as down the field kind of shots, because we had he'd still been getting targets, but Georgia had not been necessarily using him down the field. And some of those throws in the seam, and it just reminds you how big of a matchup problem he is, I thought. And that's great for Georgia going into, you know, a potential shot at another national championship and the Peach Bowl. Yeah, I mean, I think coming into this game, we kind of talked about what what more Georgia needed offensively, and Brock Bowers was a big game. He had a relatively quiet couple of weeks before this game, and, you know, as you said, they were kind of stretching him down the field, and Stetson was able to connect with him. And I think, you know, Lyle McConkey before he got hurt, was also, he's, you know, rebounded pretty nicely the last couple of weeks from kind of his rough stretch down, uh, down the season. And I think... Um, I think one good indicator of when you really know this kind of Georgia offense is clicking is, especially passing-wise, is when they're able to spread the ball a lot to a different, you know, array of kind of receivers. I think they had over 10-plus receivers that had a catch in this game, and I think when they've got that going for them is really when they can kind of exploit mismatches and kind of just let Stetson be out there and throw the ball when they need to, and then they kind of followed it up in the second half of kind of you know, with LSU's offense getting a lot of passing yards and, you know, their defense kind of giving up those big plays, they were able to run the football and kind of run out the time. And I thought that was really big going into, you know, their game against Ohio State because they're going to have to, you know, need their passing attack and rushing ability if they want to kind of keep Ohio State's offense off the field. Yeah, post game, Darnell Washington and Brock Bowers both kind of 
talked about how they don't really care about their own numbers if they're the, the team is having success and is able to win. And I think that really shows in, in kind of the way, you know, Darnell Washington has one catch in the game. It's a big catch, an important one. Dylan Bell, one catch for a touchdown. I mean, uh, Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint doesn't get his number called that often, but he makes key plays when he's called upon. The, there was a really important third down conversion that Kirby Smart called the play of the game that was a screen to Marcus Rosemey Jack Saint. And even Don Blaylock had a really nice uh, diving catch over the middle on a third down, I believe. And I think that just goes to show the depth of this Georgia offense and the unselfishness that I think starts with Bowers and starts with Setson as well and goes from the top down. This offense is is really not about, uh, you know, putting up huge numbers necessarily every game for, for individual performers, but it is about efficiency and about scoring and, and, and doing that however you can. Yeah, and I think, you know, those players you mentioned have really, everyone's really locked in together with their roles on the offense. And I think, I think the offense is only, you know, going to get better with, you know, A.D. Mitchell got some action in this SEC championship game and he's, you know, they have a couple of weeks off now. So I think, he could be more in the mix for that, you know, game against Ohio State. And I think, you know, if everyone really focuses in on their role, you know, I think it's one of the more well-executed offenses in college football. I mean, I think Darnell Washington, even though he only had one catch, his fingerprints were all over the running game. You know, he had, a, he was really sealing the edge with his blocks. And I think when you have players locked in like that, you know, Georgia's offense really becomes dangerous to, you know, we saw it last year in their playoff games where they were, able to execute at a high level against Michigan and it really didn't matter who was getting the ball everyone was able to kind of get their touches so I think you know when they're operating like that it's really hard to stop them offensively yeah and then so the other side of this game is the defense I think had a a tough night it wasn't necessarily a tough night to start I thought the defense didn't start amazingly they allowed that big play to Kayshawn Booty early on and LSU was able to drive early but uh, the defense in the second quarter was really awesome, I thought. And, and really, I think LSU had two total yards in that quarter and was just shut down. Jalen Carter had his big moment picking Jaden Daniels up. Um, and, and I thought uh, the whole unit was playing really well. And then uh, at the start of the third quarter and and with the entrance of Garrett Nussmeyer into the game, they the secondary really started to struggle. And I think that was the biggest concern to take away from a Georgia perspective from this game. And I was curious if you think that's more a function of Georgia, you know, kind of being up big and playing a different style, which Kirby Smart referred to. And I wasn't sure if I really saw it that much. I thought they were playing slightly more conservatively, but it didn't seem like a total shift either to me. Yeah, I think, you know, when it came to defensively, I think, you know, in that first half, especially that second quarter, the defense looked really good. I think, you know, some of that is, you know, the pass rush was really getting home and Jaden Daniels was clearly, you know, very immobile and his ankle was bothering him. But there were moments in that first half where when Daniels, you know, was staying in the pocket and getting a clean pocket, he was able to move the ball efficiently passing wise. And we saw that in the second half with Nussmeyer who kind of came in and, you know, he wasn't afraid to just let it rip. And I think that's something that could be a little bit of a concern going into that Ohio State game and just it's not really a blueprint on how to attack Georgia's defense, but there are opportunities with, you know, a young secondary that Georgia has. And, you know, Keely Ringo was kind of inconsistent in that SEC championship game. But, you know, they're going to get tested with Ohio State's receivers. And I think some of it is kind of just what their identity is on defense this year. You know, they're not 
they're not as stingy in terms of giving up yards, but I still think, you know, they did a, even when they did give up the big plays, obviously they gave up some big um touchdowns, but they also, you know, they they had that stop on fourth and goal, and I think, you know, it's just one of those things where, you know, it's kind of, you know, they bend, but they don't break, and, you know, it was still good to see them get those stops in the red zone, but I am a little bit concerned of kind of just the amount of explosive plays that were given up. Yeah, and I thought it was interesting that probably the two players that got targeted the most, or at least on plays that ended up going for big games, were, as you said, Keely Ringo, who is, I think, one of the more reliable players on Georgia's defense and one of their most talented, obviously their most talented cornerback. Um, And also Malachi Starks, who we've been, you know, giving a lot of praise to all season long, deservedly. And I thought it was interesting. He really had a couple, he really mistimed his jump on that that first touchdown that LSU scored in the second half. Um... I thought he was going to intercept the ball because he's shown such good ball skills. Even when he hasn't necessarily been able to come down with interceptions on all of those, he's gotten his hands on a lot of balls this season, and I thought it was going to be another one. And and then he had another uh, where Nussmeyer just threw it like like a rainbow up the middle, and, and Starks just got run by. And I don't think that's going to be something we see going forward for Georgia because I, I, I believe in Malachi Starks, obviously. I think he's a great football player and just had a couple of bad moments, and but Kirby Smart was, you know, saying this is not acceptable, and he was talking about how as a season goes on, defenses often kind of have these lapses, and uh, offenses begin to score more points late in the season, and that that's just not acceptable for Georgia, and I think it's good that Kirby Smart acknowledged that and had that mindset, because uh, that'll obviously spread to his players. I think they're going to have something to prove against Ohio State after this one. Yeah, I mean, I think as much of kind of unfortunate it was that they were giving up those big explosive plays I think you know it couldn't have come at a better time I mean it kind of reminds me of last year when you know Bryce Young shredded that defense on explosive plays and then you know they get three weeks off and they come out against Michigan and I mean Michigan's offense just didn't really have anything going for them and I think it this couldn't have come at a better time and at, you know now they have film on what LSU was doing and you know Starks, Ringo, everyone else can kind of just learn from this and you know they're gonna face an explosive offense in Ohio State and I think having this experience against LSU can really fuel them to kind of you know learn from you know their mistakes of kind of mistiming jumps and things like that and I think they'll come out much better against Ohio State. And one of the biggest plays of the game like definitely the biggest momentum shift of the game was Georgia's first touchdown the blocked field goal and Christopher Smith having the wherewithal to pick that up and run it back while LSU was basically just walking off the field and not not paying attention. Um, what did you think about that play? And, and some people have made some kind of big conclusions about like both programs and stuff like that based off of that. And I'm not sure that's entirely fair, but uh, what did you think of that play from Georgia's perspective? Yeah, I mean, I think kind of my instant reaction from that while watching watching that game, you know, obviously I'm not no ru- any rules expert, but when I first saw the block, my first instinct was kind of wondering where the ball was because my kind of initial reaction was it's definitely a live ball. And, you know, I wasn't aware of the rules of, you know, if it has to go past the line of scrimmage or not before it gets blocked. But I was kind of looking to see where the ball was. So I thought it was really heads up play for Christopher Smith to kind of pick it up. And I think, you know, he, he waited to kind of until the LSU players were kind of running off or walking off the field until he kind of officially picked it up and ran it down the sideline. So I thought that was a, you know, really high IQ play of Christopher Smith of just being aware of the rules in that situation. I, I, you know, I think it's, it's one of those things where there was also 
I was a little bit worried that Christopher Smith was going to wait too long until, and the refs were going to blow the whistle dead. And it could have, that could have been monumentous against Georgia if they weren't able to get that ball. So I think that's one of those situations where Christopher Smith kind of played it well and got a little bit of luck in which the refs didn't blow the whistle. But I think I wouldn't make conclusions from either program based on that play, but I do think the LSU players kind of have to, that's something that's got to be talked about and, you know, practiced before the week where just having awareness of, you know, if a field goal or anything's blocked of first finding the football and kind of at least make, you know, just if seeing the Georgia players kind of huddling around and finding it, I think some of the players should have been more aware of kind of going to kind of stop that from, you know, because giving up a touchdown and, you know, in that situation was kind of really monumental for Georgia. Yeah, I thought it was, I mean, it was indicative of a problem with at least LSU's special teams coaching, I think, because, I mean, Kirby Smart said they do kind of rep that situation um, pretty consistently. Christopher Smith said the same thing, and it's a thing where at first it is, you know, get away from the ball, get away from the ball, and that's what they did. Uh, but then if they see the opportunity to go score a touchdown, that they'll take it. And I thought Christopher Smith did an awesome job of, you know, you know, looking and making sure he had that space. And Smile Munden also was super aware on that play, and I thought that was impressive for, you know, a player who's still in his first season of, like, consistent playtime to have that awareness. And um, it was just, like, super unlucky for LSU because if just one of their players had, like, the level of awareness to go over there and just, you know, make sure that that didn't happen, that would have been a big play for them. But all 11 just walked off the field, so... I, it's a bad look, but like you said, I don't think it's like worth any bigger conclusions about the teams or, or the programs overall. So the last thing I kind of wanted to touch on with this game was the uh, two-point conversion Georgia scored to go up 50-23. to 23. There was a little bit of talk after the game about that decision with Kirby Smart. Um, there was a lot of surprise in the press box when that happened, for sure. And I wanted to just get your take on it, kind of. Yeah, you know, I don't really mind the decision to go for it because obviously, you know, Kirby Smart and the coaches, they obviously had a reason to do it, whether it was to make it, you know, three-possession game and LSU needs two-point conversions or whatnot. So I don't really mind the de- uh, the decision to go for it. What I was kind of surprised by was just the play call just because, you know, that's one of those plays we saw them use last year in the playoff game against Michigan. And, you know, in a game that was already out of reach, it's kind of just surprising that they kind of wasted that play on a two-point conversion when, you know, they could have used it in the red zone for, a, you know, a game down the stretch like they did last year. So I thought the play call was kind of surprising. Yeah, I definitely agree that it, it does seem like a play you keep in your back pocket, but Kirby Smart kind of referenced that after the game. He said, you know, you don't save plays, but I feel like when you're up 48-23, maybe you can. Um, and I don't really know if I believe that in general. They definitely have some tricks up their sleeve for if they're ever in kind of a dogfight like we've seen that time and time again I feel like in closer games they pull out some of these you know trick plays and I agree with you I don't think it was like an egregious decision or anything like terrible sportsmanship from from the Georgia coaching staff Kirby Smart said it was by the book and maybe it was but I mean it was a little bit of rubbing it in it felt like but you know, Georgia doesn't usually do that, so so I'm inclined to believe him when he says that, that it was just by the book, by the analytics, you go for it and, and get the two, but it definitely was surprising, and uh, yeah, for, for, for both of those reasons. Thanks for coming on the show, Parth. Thanks for having me, Stu. Welcome to the show, John. Happy to be here, Stu. 
So uh, on Sunday, it was announced the college football playoff rankings, and number one Georgia is now set to take on number four Ohio State in the Peach Bowl on New Year's Eve. I, I just want to get your thoughts, I guess, initially on this matchup in general. It's kind of just a cool matchup college football-wise, two of the biggest programs um, that haven't played very often, haven't had the opportunity to see these teams match up. What are your thoughts? You're right. It is a cool matchup, and I've seen a lot of people saying that Ohio State was the most dangerous possible matchup for Georgia, and I want to push back on that a little. Our last glimpse of Ohio State was them getting thrashed 45-23 to against Michigan, and that was just a—it left a really dark mark on Ohio State for me because Michigan is a bully team. They're going to break your will over the course of a game, and that's kind of how Georgia's been this season— breaking teams' will by establishing the run over the course of a game. And that kind of happened against LSU, where LSU allowed some really big runs to Georgia later in that matchup. So I think Ohio State might be a similar kind of opponent for Georgia, one that they can establish their the run, their run against, establish their will against, and just take over in that game. Yeah, I, I kind of disagree with you. I do think Ohio State has a shot in this game. I think they are a tough matchup for Georgia simply because – I mean, Georgia's coming off allowing the highest amount of passing yardage I'm pretty sure they've allowed in two seasons. I mean, it was 502 passing yards. I don't remember anyone throwing for more than that last season. I know it's the highest this season. And Ohio State's got C.J. Stroud, one of the best quarterbacks in the country, Marvin Harrison Jr., one of the best receivers in the country. And uh, I think that's just a recipe for uh, you know a lot of points, potentially. And Georgia's secondary could absolutely play better. I'm not saying that, like, this is a you know emergency for Georgia or something where they're like definitely slated to lose this game or anything, but um, I I do think it's it's a worse matchup certainly than TCU would have been. I think it's a worse matchup than Michigan is for Georgia to be honest with you because I think uh, if you do like the tough team off of Georgia versus Michigan, I would take Georgia to to win that and they are similarly constructed groups. I thought USC and Ohio State both presented like bigger problems, but. Uh, USC's defense is clearly worse than Ohio State's to me, and and I think that showed against Utah where they just did not tackle for the entire fourth quarter. So I do think this is a matchup that that presents some uh, really unique problems for George on defense. I agree with you that LSU really managed to move the ball on Georgia through the air in a way that was really surprising. But after the game, both Christopher Smith and Kirby Smart sounded like they, they knew that was an issue, and they knew they needed to work on it. And hanging to a matchup with Ohio State, which is considered one of the most dangerous passing offenses in college football, I think Georgia's going to be prepared for that matchup. I agree. I mean, I think they're going to be locked in. It's going to be a bounce-back game for the defense. I mean, I think that's going to be the mentality going in. But there is a point where, I mean, you know, the other team is talented. The other team is going to bring their best as well. And I think there's an aspect of Ohio State wanting to prove itself. You know, I mean, they've backed into the playoff spot, I would say, obviously, more than any of the other three teams, even TCU, they dropped one game, close game in the conference championship. I think that's a forgivable loss. But Ohio State, like you said, got really handled by Michigan, particularly late in that game. And I think by the same token as Christopher Smith and Kirby Smart wanted to come back and, you know, uh, show that this is a good team, this is a good defense. Why isn't Ohio State going to have that same mentality coming out here trying to prove themselves on offense? I just don't think Ohio State's defense has the talent to match up with Georgia's offense, especially given how Georgia's offense looked in that LSU game. It was a really impressive game from Stetson Bennett, one of his best of the year, and I think 
Ohio State's defense after giving up an 85-yard touchdown, a 75-yard rushing touchdown to a running back with a broken thumb. I just don't know if Ohio State's defense has the guts to match up against Georgia's offense. But the thing with that is it's college football, and any game can just evolve into, you know, 54-48 at any given moment if both offenses are hot, particularly when Ohio State's defense is the the weakest unit in the matchup. We think Georgia's offense will be able to score. Um, but say Ohio State's offense comes out on fire, I don't see any reason they can't score in the 30s or 40s if they're playing their best. I mean, I really do think any college football game can devolve into a shootout if it's the right circumstances. And I would push back a little bit. I don't think Ohio State's defense is as bad as it seemed to be against Michigan. I think it can play that poorly, and, and Georgia's offense was awesome on Saturday for sure. But if Setson Bennett has a down game, which he has had several down games this season, as recently as the last two games before the SEC championship game, I, I think there's definitely several paths to Ohio State making this a game. It's really just a matter of what Ohio State team shows up. If it's the Ohio State team that went into halftime tied with Northwestern, this is a wrap for the Bulldogs. If it's an Ohio State team that is thriving on offense, that puts it together on defense, this might be a tough game for the Bulldogs. I'm betting that Ohio State does not have the horses to win this one, though. I mean, I agree. I am going to pick Georgia in this game. Spoiler alert for later in the podcast. But the Northwestern game, I think, is is a really unfair example to use. I mean, the weather was a huge factor in that game. It's akin to, like, Bills Patriots last year where Mac Jones threw three passes you know it's it's not a fair uh, measuring stick for Ohio State this game's going to be in a dome it's going to be a, a favorable condition for both offenses I don't think that you can really use Northwestern the Michigan game totally fair uh, the offense fell apart late there so I mean I can't really defend Ohio State for that at all but I, I would just you know I'm, I'm not as confident as you seem to be in Georgia winning this game I do think there's definitely a shot for Ohio State so earlier today, we're recording this on Monday, it was announced that Jackson Smith and Jigba would be uh, foregoing the playoff. Um, he's been dealing with a hamstring injury. He's going to get ready for the NFL draft. It's unclear if it's, you know, he just wasn't going to get back and decided, you know, to announce it now or if it was more of a, you know, business decision kind of thing, move on to the NFL draft. But in any case, Ohio State will be without Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's been out for much of the season anyway, but is a dynamic weapon. I mean, how impactful do you think his presence would have been for Ohio State, and how big of a loss is it for them, even though this offense has played without him all season pretty much, uh, to, to not have him in this game? I think it's a pretty big thing for Ohio State to not have Jackson Smith and Jigba in this game. Um, he's just a super dynamic weapon that Georgia would have to account for in their game planning, and without him, that's going to allow Kirby Smart and the defense to devote more resources to covering Marvin Harrison Jr., to covering their other offensive weapons, and it's just something that they don't have to account for that makes it easier going into the game, thinking out how are you going to attack Ohio State's offense. Um, for, Mar- for Jackson Smith and Jigba, I can't really disagree with his decision. He's dealt with injury concerns. He's going to be a first-round wide receiver. There's no reason for him to jeopardize that. But I think Ohio State's offense was missing him for certain points of the year, and that's one reason why they didn't perform super well against Michigan is because they were missing him, and they couldn't rely on him in that way that they might have if he was there. Yeah, I mean, I definitely think it's a big—it's not even a loss, but, you know, a non-addition, I guess, is what it is. They're not getting somebody back that—it could have been more like, you know, a George Pickens situation where he came back right at the end of last season, had a couple impactful plays— uh, the 52-yarder in the natty, 
coming to mind. Um, but I think it is a big loss because Jackson Smith and Jigba, I've been a huge fan of him since watching him last year, specifically that Rose Bowl performance where it was, I don't remember the exact numbers, but it was something like 14 for 329 and three touchdowns. I mean, he was out of his mind in that game. And obviously the Utah secondary is not the same as, as Georgia's defense, but it would have been a big headache for Georgia to have to deal with him and Marvin Harrison, uh, particularly because I don't think they have that much depth at corner necessarily. Uh, Kamari Laster has been kind of my question mark on the defense for the whole season. Keely Ringo's coming off kind of a down game where he just didn't look like himself necessarily. Um, so I think it is it is helpful for Georgia to not have to deal with him. But, I mean, it's not like Ohio State doesn't have any other talented receivers either. I mean, this is basically a wide receiver factory. I mean, they've spat out first-round picks the last five years uh, with Brian Hartline as the wide receivers coach as well. They do a great job over there. And they have Emeka Igbuka as their second receiver now, who's also a 1,000-yard guy. So it's not like it's just going to be easy without Jackson Smith and Jigba in the game either. It just simplifies things for Georgia's defense. And coming off of a really bad game, possibly the worst game of the season for that unit, I think you want it to be as simple as possible, knowing who you're going to attack and how you're going to attack them. Yeah, I think the game sets up well for Georgia in general because I think they'll be able to stop Ohio State's run game. They've been really good at that in general throughout the season with that that depth on the interior defensive line in particular and obviously Dumas Johnson and Smile Munden cleaning stuff up at the linebacking level and it sets up to be a game where you know like I said earlier CJ Stroud has to bring his best it's going to be on his shoulders I think and the receivers and I trust Georgia more than I trust Ohio State's defense to make those key stops even in a game where it is a high scoring affair where both teams are able to score I mean I think you would agree, too, that you would trust this Georgia group to make those key plays. 100%. With the college football playoff matchups officially set, um, we are going to pick both games this week. So we're going to lead with TCU-Michigan, the two versus the three. Um, Who do you have winning that game? I have Michigan in not a particularly close matchup. I think it's 31-10 to in favor of the Wolverines. Yeah, I like Michigan as well. I don't think it's going to be a blowout blowout, but I do think Michigan wins comfortably. I'll go Michigan. I'll go same score I thought Georgia LSU was going to be. Michigan 34, TCU 20. And then moving to the main event for our purposes, we are a Georgia football podcast. We've got Georgia, Ohio State. What's your pick for the game and who's maybe a defensive player you think is going to stand out for the Bulldogs? I think Ohio State's offense doesn't quite match LSU's output, and Georgia wins in the end. I'm going Georgia 35, Ohio State 24, and I think Keely Ringo has a big game. He's proven that he shines in the brightest moment in the NCAA, cha- in, in the NCAA championship in the game against Tennessee. He had that big interception. I think he comes up big against Ohio State. I agree with uh, your pick. I think Georgia's going to win the game. I think it's going to be... 38-28. I think Ohio State's offense is going to have some success, but Georgia makes enough plays to, to, to win the game. And offensively, I got Brock Bowers having a big-time game. I think it's his time of year. Uh, when you get to this point, your best players need to step up and play their best. I think he already did that against LSU. I thought he looked really good, and if they needed him more in the second half, I'm sure he would have had even bigger numbers. But I think Bowers goes for over 100 yards and two-plus touchdowns against Ohio State. Thanks for coming on the show, John. Happy to be here, Stu. Thanks for listening to Between the Headphones. I'm Stuart Steele. 
You can find other episodes wherever you get your podcasts and on redandblack.com. For even more Georgia football coverage, visit redandblack.com slash game day. We'll tee it up between the headphones again next week.